because you're in the Hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of What's in the Hoodwood for October 13th, 2022. Coming up this week, Major League Baseball playoffs hit the divisional round after a wild, wild card weekend. Take a look back, look forward, what's all got going on. Is the NFL roughing the passer rules gotten out of control? I think so, and I can explain some reasons why and offer some solutions. I have NFL Week 16 after the week I had last week. Oh, boy. Also, we have Fat Dap, Ed Slap, and Fire Work in the Woods that I think you'll like. So, it's going to be fast and furious. You better fuck your seatbelts and get ready. Watch the Wood comes at you. Right now. You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for the most honest, unfiltered commentary and insight on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's Hoodwood's hometown hero, KJ Green. I'm your man, KJ Green, welcoming you back to the Hoodwood for another wild week of sports commentary. And the term wild is pretty apt when we're talking about Major League Baseball. Wild card weekend, four series, all of them fantastic, some unexpected upsets. I know, I know, the Phillies must have took it personally that I said the Cardinals were going to shoo them out of the playoffs. Because after that epic Game 1 collapse, St. Louis didn't know what happened. The Cards didn't know what hit them. And the Phillies were like, you get out, not us. A stunning two-game sweep to end the careers of Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina, and possibly Adam Wainwright. And the Phillies, who'd have thunk it, down two to nothing, Going into the top of the ninth inning, everyone's thinking game one, okay, business as usual. But somebody forgot to tell the Phillies that they were supposed to leave. They scored six runs, six runs in the top of the ninth, and the Cardinals don't score again. For the rest of the series, are you kidding me? So the Phillies, not the Cardinals, move on, and they face the Atlanta Braves in a best-five divisional series. Now, in the other National League series, I had confidently predicted that the Padres would beat the Mets. And guess what? They did it. I told you, as far back as I can tell, Buck Showalter always finds a way to screw things up. The beef been put in the best possible situations. First with the Yankees. He built the Arizona Diamondbacks from scratch. And now with the Mets. And what happens? Every time a Buck Showalter team gets in the playoffs, they tense up. They all of a sudden forget the things that win them games and lose short series. The Padres only won 89 games, but they had a plethora of good hitting. Manny Machado, Juan Soto. They both hit like gangbusters, and the Mets sent off. Even though it was a three-game series, but really, the series wasn't that, wasn't that close. The Mets with 101 wins out in three games. 
Now, in the American League, you had the Blue Jays and the Mariners. Blue Jays sitting really confident. They're Canada's team. They have a whole nation behind them. Seattle hasn't been in the playoffs since 2001. 2001! But the Mariners, bold, confident, feeling like they're playing with house money, getting further than people thought, and they knock out the Blue Jays in another stunning sweep. Nobody expected the Mariners to play as cohesive and play as run-happy as they were. The Blue Jays had the Mariners down, ready to force a, 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 a do-or-die game three, and the Mariners just kept coming, kept coming. They were down 8-1, and after big hits by uh, Bo Bichette, it seemed like the Blue Jays were going to be on their way. But the Mariners kept coming, and they scored 10 runs in coming back from an 8-1 deficit. Now, of course, the, the series that everyone was talking about was the Rays and the Guardians. The Guardians won game one. Game two, both of these games, one and game two, respectively, were noon first pitches, or one on Friday, one on Saturday. So a lot of people didn't see the drama in game two. Most people didn't see it because the game started at noon, a lot of college football was going on, and it was a tense, high-drama game. Who was going to blink first at zero after zero? after zero, was put up on the scoreboard. Finally, the Guardians win on a 15th-inning walk-off home run to send them to the Divisional Series. Now, we're looking at the Divisional Series. It just seems like order has been restored. Yankees slapped around the Guardians in Game 1. The Padres made short work that made, was made short work of by the Dodgers in Game 1 in Chavez Ravine. And, I'm thinking of somewhere else, and the Mariners got pasted by the Astros. But wait a minute. There are those Phillies again, as they would say, Mama, there's that man again. The Phillies take the fight to the Braves, stunning them in game one in Atlanta. Now, as I'm taping the show, I had to put my headphone back in. As I'm, as I'm setting the show up, there's a rain delay for game two in Atlanta. There may be Four straight days of baseball, two two games in Atlanta, games two and possibly games five, and games three and four in Philly. Four games, four days, two cities. That series could come out to be very, very crazy. But the Braves defending World Series. People forget the Braves are the defending World Series champs. Do they have the moxie to put away the pesky Phillies? Now, the Phillies, they're afraid of nobody. That's a team that's playing with house money. They got a series win. They're not supposed to be able to just stand with the Braves. But after winning game one, you're never very sure. This could be an interesting series, to say the least. I still think the Braves will be able to pull it out in five. And, of course, I think the Dodgers, this will be really the team that will Shoo the Padres out. Padres have lots of moxie, but no, they're not going to beat the Dodgers. And, of course, I think in the American League, I think the Yankees and the Astros are the class of the league and will meet in a titanic ALCS come next week. 
Let's take a time out, shall we? Come back and look at the NFL's roughing the passer rule. Has it really gotten out of control? Do we just need to put flags on the scum of quarterbacks? Sportsman Hoodwood comes back at you. Tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's premier destination for no-nonsense commentary, thorough analysis, and logical insight on the world of sports. Now here's the man that Wikipedia and Google call for sports fact checks, your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. My name is KJ Green. And let's take a look at Roughing the Passer. It is a foul that happens in football. And it does happen legitimately when a defensive player hits a quarterback after he's thrown a pass or has used a little too much force in bringing the quarterback to the ground. More often than not, it's the defensive player hitting the quarterback after he's thrown the ball. It's a 15-yard penalty and automatic first down, whether you're in college or pros. But lately, it seems that the roughing the passer foul comes out a little too quickly. And usually it's the referee who is lined up six yards behind the quarterback on the offensive side of the ball is the one that throws the flag. Most notably, lately, the, the two most egregious uh, roughing the passers that have been very controversial were in two very closely uh, contested games in uh, week five. In the Tampa Bay-Atlanta Falcons game being played in Tampa, uh, Falcons defensive lineman Grady Jarrett slung quarterback Tom Brady to the ground after, I would say, a protracted amount of time and a considerable amount of beefing, or should I say whining, by Tom Brady, the flag was thrown. And I'm trying to think of who it was. It wasn't. Hang on a second. And in the. We'll edit that here out. In the Bucks Falcons game, Grady Jarrett threw Tom Brady to the ground. It was a sack. Jarrett comes off of the left end, 
Brady tries to step up in the pocket, tries to step away from Grady. Jared dives at Brady and in his motion grabs him and throws him over his body to the ground. After a, I would say a protracted amount, it was at least, you would say one, two, three, counted that one. And Brady kicked at Jared at, at as Jared was getting off of him and then seemed to whine at the referee, Jerome Boger, and Boger throws the flag. Roughing the passer. Now, this situation was a sack, and it should have pushed the Buccaneers out of uh, field goal range to add to their lead. They were leading 21-15, and that's the score they would end up winning the game by. The penalty extends the Bucks' drive, and eventually they run out the clock with the first down and win the game. In the Monday night game between the Chiefs and the Raiders, Carl Cheffers called a roughing the passer after Chris Jones appeared to strip sack Raiders quarterback Derek Carr and fall on him as they were both going after the ball. They called a roughing the passer call on that. Now, that didn't affect the game adversely. The Chiefs ended up winning the game. But it was a penalty that extended the Raiders' drive. The question I have is, where does the line get drawn between a good, clean hit, a sack, a strip sack, and roughing the passer? Now, there have been many times where defensive players have taken liberties and hitting the quarterback a little too hard. I remember the Charles Martin of the Packers back in the 80s slammed Jim McMahon to the ground way after he had thrown a pass. He was rolling out, throws the pass. Martin comes up behind him and just wham, slams him to the ground. Injured McMahon, knocked him out of the game. Martin got tossed from the game, and I don't even think he played that much more after that. There is a line, a fine line between good hard hits, a defensive lineman hitting a, a, a quarterback a split second after he throws the ball. He's allowed, allowed a step after the quarterback has released the ball. But where does tackling and where does the line between tackling and sacks, where is the line drawn here? Are we going to need to put quarterbacks in, I mean, normally with practice, you put quarterbacks in the red jerseys, and they're not to be touched. Are we going to play two-head tag? And that may even be even worse because then quarterbacks will say, we can't roll out of pocket. We can't run from defensive. Someone like Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts, whose game is predicated on, throw, on being able to scramble, to be able to move away, get away, be elusive from on-rushing defensive linemen and linebackers two-hand tag, that would take the essence and the soul out of the game. But you have to wonder, with these roughing the passer calls, where is the line needing to be drawn? Do the do the NFL need to fine-tune its roughing the passer calls? Do they need to talk to referees and say, hey, this is tackle football. This is the NFL. This ain't 
oh, two-hand tag, oh, snatch the flag, that sort of monkey business. It's a violent sport. People get hurt. And I understand there's safety implications there. You want to protect the quarterback who are the marquee um, the marquee faces of the league. Your Joe Burrows, your Dak Prescott, your Tom Brady's, your Patrick Mahomes, your Josh Allen. I get that. But when you're a quarterback, you know you only have a limited amount of time back in the pocket. It ain't like we play uh, uh, touch football in the backyard and we got a five-second count and then, then there was a free rush. You don't have that much time. Five seconds? Shoo. You're lucky if you get three. One, two, three, initial read, second read, you might be able to get a third read. But you know it's a violent sport and that you are going to get tackled. You have the ball, the defensive linemen, your Aaron Donalds, your Micah Parsons. They are intent on putting you down. They are intent to put the quarterback on the ground or hit him to affect his way of throwing. That's the nature of the game. The NFL should rein in the referees and say, okay, we understand you want to protect. You want to protect the quarterback. But the quarterbacks take an inherent risk when they take a snap, when they're dropping back, when they're setting up in the pocket to pass, that there are blockers that are trying to keep odd rushing defensive linemen off of quarterback, but he only has a limited time to throw the ball. There is a, a, a comparable balance between protecting the quarterback and allowing the defensive players to make a hit. This balance needs to be found, and that sounds right soon. Let's take another time out, come back with NFL Week 6 picks and predictions. Last week was an abject disaster after week four was going so well. I'm going up and down like a roller coaster. We're going to try to get everything leveled out. Sports will come back at you after this.
You are back in the Hoodwood. My name is KJ Green, and let's get to the Week 6 NFL picks just to get the stench of Week Five picks out of the neighborhood air. I'll be brief. Last week sucked. I went 7-9. I should have known after the Packers blew that game to the Giants, it was going to be a long, long Sunday. I will endeavor to do better with the odds being provided by ESPN for entertainment and, pur- and comparison purposes only. I tell you that if you're dependent on these lines to bet, you need to get your sanity check, and you deserve to get to it by the bookie. Now, of course, I always say to check 506sports.com for a comprehensive coverage map of the teams that are being shown in your area. All the times that are listed are Eastern Daylight Time. And this is the start of the bye week. The Lions, the Titans, Raiders, and Texans all have the initial buys for week six. So let's get started, shall we? With the Thursday night game, game is the 1-4 Commanders taking on the 2-3 and three Bears at Soldier Field, Chicago, 8-15 kickoff on Amazon Prime. It is an even line that has been listed. Last week, Commanders lost to the Titans 24-17, while the Bears lost to the Vikings 29-22. Amazon Prime got lucky their first three Thursday dates of having good games before catching a snooze fest in Denver last Thursday. And they get another less-than-stellar matchup with the Commanders headed to the Midway to face the Bears. Both teams lost competitive games last week, and they and they're finding some semblance of a bounce back in this coming game. Now, you can trust Washington's offense at your own risk. Carson Wentz is playing bad. Not Matt Ryan bad, to be sure, but bad nonetheless. Meanwhile, the Bears are getting no traction from their passing game, though that catch by Darnell Mooney last week was borderline ignorant. I love that catch. It was a good one. That said, I have little faith in the Bears as well. But I do think that the Bears are good enough to hold the line at home and get a narrow, if unspectacular, win. The pick here is Chicago. Let's turn to the Sunday games. This is a CBS doubleheader week. Check your local listings for teams playing in your area. First game is the 3-2 49ers taking on the 2-3 Falcons at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The 49ers are 5.5-point favorites. Last week, the 49ers defeated the Panthers 37-15, while the Falcons lost to the Buccaneers 21-15. Now, after smashing the, the Wobegon Panthers on the road, the Niners stay on the Eastern Time Zone face the Falcons of the Dutch South. The Falcons are still stinging after their loss to the Bucks under highly questionable circumstances, but they have found some consistency in their play as of late, though with mixed results. Jimmy G is further asserting himself as quarterback of the Niners, though it is looking more like he is trying to have a job audition for 2023. In any case, it's a Western team headed east on an early start, which I'm always suspicious of. That said, the Niners' offense has rounded nicely in the form, and their defense is sneaky good, giving up points at a Myers-League clip. The Falcons' offense will have not nearly enough to get answers, not, not enough answers to get the win here. At home, the pick here is San Francisco. Next game on the docket is the two and three Patriots taking on the two and three Browns at First Energy Stadium in Cleveland. One o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Browns are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Last week, the Patriots defeated the Lions 29 to nothing. while the uh, Browns lost to the Chargers 30-28. to 
Now, the Pats blast the Lions and now face a maddeningly inconsistent Browns team on the road that is getting good, really good at blowing big leads, especially at home. I don't trust either team, to be honest, but the Patriots seem to be getting right at the right time, and trusting the Browns nowadays is hazardous to one's mental health. I'm picking, and Hoodwood picks is New England. Next on the docket, we have the 4-1 Vikings taking on 3-2 Dolphins. Game being played at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Vikings are 3.5-point favorites. Last week, the Vikings defeated the Bears 29-22, while the Dolphins lost to the Jets 40-17. to The Vikings keep playing that high-wire act, putting gray hair in my beard while they pull out games at the last minute, this time blowing a big lead and then rallying to beat the Bears with a late defensive touchdown and a late, I'm sorry, a late offensive touchdown and a late defensive takeaway. Now, while their overall play is weirdly and wildly inconsistent, they keep finding ways to wriggle out of losses. They head to South Beach to face a badly fading Dolphins team that is going through a bevy of quarterbacks and will start rookie Skylar Thompson at the quarterback position. Good luck. They also have wideout issues with the suspect uh, issues of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. That puts even more of a burden on the running of Raheem Mostert. Now, that said, I and though I personally dislike the play of Kirk Cousins, who is just the, the, the bevy of beefs with him are long and loud, and I'm not going to get into them here, but Cousins has been getting the job done as of late. I do have issues, more issues, with Miami being inconsistent and without a credible starting quarterback. That might be a task into itself. The pick is Minnesota. Next on the docket, we have the 3-2 Jets at the 3-2 Packers. Game being played at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, 1 p.m. Kickoff on Fox. The Packers are seven and a half point favorites. Last week, the Jets defeated the Dolphins 40 to 17, while the Packers lost to the Giants 27 to 22. The Jets looked sharp in dismantling the Dolphins in Gotham, but had their toughest road test to date by heading into the Frozen Tundra, even though I know it's October, headed to the Frozen Tundra of Lambeau Field. Aaron Rodgers is trying to keep his team together and has shook off a minor thumb injury. That puzzling loss in London to the G-Men made absolutely no sense. I'm not even going to try to figure out how the Packers blew a big lead in London. That said, while the Jets' defense looked good at times, I cannot see them keeping a tight rein on Aaron Rodgers. With all their foibles this season, I'm not even close to being ready to bet against the pack at home. The pick here is Green Bay. Next on the docket, we have the 2-3 and three Jaguars at the 2-2-1 two, two and one Colts game being played at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Colts are two-point favorites. Last week, the Jaguars lost to the Texans 13-6, while the Colts defeated the Broncos 12-9 in overtime. The Jags, of course, laid a big, fat egg when they were supposed to win. Now they hit Indy to face Colts, team that they handed a stunning shutout to just a few weeks back. Now the Colts are the biggest enigma in the NFL. Their offense is punchless, their defense is leaky at the best of times, but they're 2-2-1. Two, two and one. I can't trust this team. Matter of fact, I can't trust either team, to be perfectly honest. Colts are suspects on both sides of the ball, and the Jags' two wins are looking more like flukes 
and an illusion than a real barometer of the team. Why do I think that and suspect that picking the Colts is going to just make them even more just more suspect and dangerous? They're at home. I'll trust them. I'm probably going to regret it. Pick here is Indianapolis. Next on the docket, the two and three Bengals at the two and three Saints. Game being played at the Caesar Superdome in New Orleans. One o'clock kickoff on CBS. Bengals are one and a half point favorites. The Bengals, um, last week, the Bengals lost to the Ravens 17 to 16, while the Saints lost to the Seahawks 30. I beg your pardon, they defeated the Seahawks 39 to 32. The Bengals aren't getting blown out. They've lost all three of their games on the at the gun, one in overtime and two in the last play of the game. But offense teams take forever to get rolling, and they're playing behind more often than not. Now, the Saints have seemed to found their offensive mojo, though they did give up a season high in points. Bengals are drifting toward that suspect type of team with their inconsistent play on both sides of the ball. That said, the Saints' 32 points was the highest that they scored all season, and I do believe it was against another suspect team in the Seahawks and their secondary, which is the definition of sub. I don't think the Bengals, who have been in every game and have yet to give up more than 24 points in any contest, are going to give up points that easy. The pick here is Cincinnati. Time out, come back with the second half of the NFL pick. The rest of the early games, all late games, and the Sunday and Monday night games. Sports from Bloodwood comes back at you after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. Back once again in the Littlewood. Let's continue on with the Week Six NFL picks. Next on the docket, we have the three and two Buccaneers at the one and four Steelers. Game being played at the Creaser Stadium in Pittsburgh. One p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Buccaneers are eight-point favorites. Last week, the Buccaneers defeated the Falcons twenty-one to fifteen, while the Steelers lost to the Bills thirty-eight to three. I knew that the Steelers were going to get beat by the Bills last week. I was that close to making it the lock of the week, but I was pretty sure that, that the Bills were going to smash the Steelers. But I did not think that they would take such a hellacious beatdown like they did. I've never seen a Mike Tomlin coach team look that bad. Kenny Pickett looked like a frightened rookie, and the defense just looked overmatched against Josh Allen and the high-powered Bills offense. This is the wrong time to find a Bucks team that, while their offense isn't that fearsome, they have enough tools to hand out another beating. Now, the Bucks got by the Falcons with the help of some <clears throat> questionable calls. I'm suspecting that, that the love Tom Brady, protect Tom Brady conspiracy theorists are in full throat. That said, the Bucks are just clearly better than the Steelers. Even the game being on the road is not going to make that much of a difference. The pick here is Tampa Bay. 
Next on the docket, we have the 3-2 and two Ravens at the 4-1 and Giants. Game being played at MetLife Stadium meets Rutherford, New Jersey. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Ravens are six-point favorites. Last week, the Ravens defeated the Bengals 19-17. I did say earlier that the uh, Bengals lost to the Ravens. The correct score was 19-17. And the Giants defeated the Packers 27-22. And this is intriguing, a really intriguing matchup um, in Gotham. The Ravens needed a late drive and field goal to rally past the Bengals last Sunday night while the G-Men looked surprisingly sharp and rallying past the Packers in London. Lamar Jackson may be playing for the big money contract, but his play can be suspect at times. Still, the Ravens are playing decent football. Say what you want about Danny Dimes. He's played good enough to get dubs, and it helps have Saquon Barkley at full strength, to be sure. This is a tough, tough game to call. Um, I still don't feel confident enough to pick G-Men yet. Even at home, pick here is Baltimore. Let's turn to the late games. First on the late game docket is two and three Cardinals. That's two and three Seahawks game being played at Lumen Field in Seattle. Four or five kickoff on Fox. Cardinals are three point favorites. Last week the Cardinals lost to the Eagles twenty to seventeen, while the Seahawks lost to the Saints thirty nine to thirty two. The Cards may be overjoyed not to be playing at home as they are winless in the desert. And instead, they head to the Pacific Northwest to face a Seahawks team that is allowing way too many points. I think Kyler Murray is taking too much blame in the performance of an inconsistent offense. On the other hand, Geno Smith is a couple of more big-time outputs from making a believer out of me. I'm going to roll the dice and say he continues to show why he's a dark horse MVP candidate. The pick here is Seattle. Next on the docket, we have the 1-4 Panthers at 2-3 and three Rams. Game being played at SoFi Stadium, Inglewood, California, 405 kickoff on Fox. The Rams are 10-point favorites. Last week, the uh, Panthers lost to the 49ers 37-15, while the Rams lost to the Cowboys 22-10. Matt Rule got the gate in Carolina to no one's surprise. Steve Wilkes is now the interim coach of the Panthers. And he has a tall task in his first game, going out to L.A. to face his defending champ Rams, who are still stinging from a thrashing by the Pokes. Baker Mayfield will likely be running for his life against Aaron Donald and company, and the Rams are not in a good mood. This will be ugly. The pick here is Los Angeles Rams. That's the good lock of the week. Next on the docket, we have the 4-1 Bills taking on the 4-1 Chiefs at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. 425 kickoff on CBS. The Bills are two-point favorites. Last week, the Bills defeated the Steelers 38-3, while the Chiefs defeated the Raiders 30-29. Now, I'm surprised this was really, really surprised that this wasn't a Sunday nighter. The rematch is a thrilling divisional round shootout. Now, the Bills handed out a frightening beatdown and evisceration of the Steelers, and Josh Allen looked like he was playing a step ahead of everyone. Now, the Chiefs rallied smartly at home to edge the Raiders, and Patrick Mahomes continues to play at that crazy high level. This will be a fun matchup to watch as both teams can stretch the field and wear out a scoreboard operator. I'm thinking the Bills' defense will have its hands full with the Chiefs' offense, 
But you know who was the real uh, difference? I'm not last week. The divisional playoff game last year, Tyreek Hill. He's in Miami. And the Bills have just enough to spring the upset on Kansas City. In Kansas City, the pick here is the upset of the week, Buffalo. The Sunday night game is the 4-1 Cowboys at the 5-0 Eagles game being played at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. 8-20 kickoff on NBC. The Eagles are five-point favorites. Last week, the Cowboys defeated the Rams 22-10, while the Eagles defeated the Cardinals 20-17. Now, the Sunday nighter is a doozy. The Pokes and the Eagles, Eagles, if you want to call them that way, square off on what Carrie Underwood will no doubtly sing in the Sunday night anthem as a nasty showdown. These teams do not like one another at all, and this game will have plenty of hard hits and trash talk and, and to boot. Will Dak be back for the for the folks, or will Cooper Rush still be the man that's kept them in the running? The Eagles won a top duel in the desert and are still the league's only undefeated team, a title that they will be determined to hold on to in front of a rowdy home crowd. This will be a fascinating matchup on many fronts. Will the Pokes' fearsome defense, led by Michael Parsons, be able to contain the whirling dervishes of Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, and Devontae Smith? Will the Eagles' underrated defense be able to contain Dak or Cooper? I think the Eagles at home are a safe bet, though. The pick is Philadelphia. Finally, the Monday night game is Broncos, who are 2-3, and three, at Chargers, who are 3-2. That'll be game we played at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. 8-15 kickoff on ESPN. The Chargers are six-point favorites. Last week, the Broncos lost to the Colts 12-9 in overtime, while the Chargers defeated the Browns 30-28. The Broncos have had 11 days to stew over their abysmal, abysmal performance at home against the weak Colts, and now have to head to L.A. to face a Chargers team that can score points by the bushel. Austin Eckler is getting his mojo back, and that's bad news for a defense that has played good but isn't able to get matching points for from its offense. What's wrong with Russell Wilson? Will somebody please tell me? Your guess is as good as mine, though, but he's facing the wrong team to try to get right again. Pick here is the Los Angeles Chargers. And there you have it. You have it. Last week I was 79. Last all you want. At my poor showing. Even though my lot was wet. At 42-37-1 overall. 3-2 on the locks. As well as 3-2 on the locks. Let's take a final timeout. Come back with Bluewood Hot 5. That, that's the hint left. And the final word from Bluewood. Watch Bluewood hits down the stretch. After this.
day your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at gottagetmarriednow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at gottagetmarriednow.com. from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for no-nonsense commentary, insight, and opinions on the world of sports. Here now live in living color, black by popular demand, your host, KJ Green. Robin Thug and headed for home here in the Hoodwood. Finish up strong with Hoodwood Hot 5, Fat Dap and Head Slap, and the final word from the wood. Hoodwood Hot 5 is the, or I should say my, college football top five uh, necessarily be polling anyone i just take the five teams i think are the best in the nation and rank them from five to one they do they mirror the ap and the coaches maybe a little we'll have to see originally the hoodwood hot five right now was unchanged number five team is clemson they slept walk through the game through b against bc and will face a and b careful not to look past a Florida State team. When did you ever think you ever hear somebody say, looking past Florida State? But times have changed. Florida State is not the bully in the ACC it once was. The showdown with Syracuse in two weeks, that may determine a whole lot going forward. But right now, they sit at number five in my Hoodwood Hot Five. Number four team, it's going to be Michigan, the Wolverines. Another team's a slept walk through their opponent, 31-10 against Indiana. They also look pretty bored, but their degree of difficulty goes up exponentially as they head to Happy Valley to take on Penn State. 10th-ranked Nittany Lions are no joke. Playing at home will be a true test of the Wolverines to see if they really are national championship and college football playoff worthy. At number three, we have Georgia. Uh, they slept walk through game pretty much themselves, beating up on an overmatched Auburn team whose coach has one foot in the grave. They pasted Auburn, but they probably won't have a real test on their docket until November 5th when they take on the Vols in Knoxville. Our number two team is Alabama. Clemson Tide dodged a massive bullet against Texas A&M at home, but they have a real test in Knoxville against those aforementioned uh, volunteers. That game could go a long way in determining not only the SEC East and West, but national championship uh, implications as well. Our number one team in the Hoodwood Hot Five is Ohio State. They're looking bored. They have a bye this week. They have a bye next week pretty much, taking on a, a sad sack Iowa team in Columbus. They won't have a real game until the end of the month when they go to Penn State, take on the Nittany Lions at Happy Valley. The two teams that are not in the Hoodwood Hot Five but have dark horse implications are Penn State and Tennessee. Both of those teams are going to be kingmakers and shot callers on who will be in the college football playoff uh, picture come the end of the month when the first poll comes out the beginning of November. 
It's a lot of football still to be played. That's my Hood with Hot 5. What's yours? Now let's look at the Fat Dap Head Slap of the Week. Fat Dap of the Week goes to FC Cincinnati, that team that's on the wall behind me. They finished up their regular season with 12 wins, 13 draws, and 9 defeats, which is good enough to qualify them for the MLS playoffs for the very first time. Now, considering this team only won four games in the 2021 campaign and has finished last on the Eastern Table, each of their incarnations every year in absence of moving to MLS just a few years back, this has been a monumental season for the orange and blue. They went on an 11 match unbeaten streak after losing a painful loss to in-state arch rival Columbus. They reeled off an 11 game match streak where they were not defeated, where they won five times and had six draws. That was enough to climb them up further, far enough up the table to qualify for the MLS playoffs. They will begin their quest for the MLS cup, which they probably won't have a, a real fair shot at getting, but at least they made the playoffs as they take on the New York Red Bulls this Saturday in Gotham. Now, who's what to say about the about FCC? But at least this is progress. Making the playoffs is a good thing. Our head slap of the week goes to the University of Oklahoma. To watch the Red River shootout, or I should say Red River shooting, Texas beat Oklahoma 49 to nothing. That's not a misprint. That's not a, a, a misread. Usually, the game in the Cotton Bowl, evenly divided during the Texas State Fair in Dallas, it's usually a competitive game. Last year's game was an absolute thriller. But Oklahoma got to get, get on the bus to Dallas. And Texas absolutely whacked them. The biggest defeat in the Red River shootout ever. Ever! Oklahoma deserves a big head slap for failing to show up against one of its heated and hated rivals and making themselves an embarrassment. This team started out 3-0 and has started to give it up a frightening number of points in its last three outings. When TCU and Kansas and Texas disrespect you and put up 40 plus points in each of the three games, Something's wrong. Head slapped Oklahoma for falling off badly. Now, without further, much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. I will admit that I love college football. I actually prefer watching college football to pro football because with college football, there's so much drama and school pageantry and there's a real passion for the game. Biggest uh, venue in the NFL holds about 90,000 people, uh, AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. There are five venues in college football that hold over 100,000, which goes to testimony of how popular the college game has been. That said, the uh, college football that's played at HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, may be shown on a smaller scale, but the pageantry there and the games are no less enthralling and do not lack for uh, good play and exciting finishes. There are also heated rivalries and not just the Battle of the Bands. <clears throat> Excuse me. The past week, 
Jackson State went to Alabama State to take on uh, in, a, in a SWAT contest between two very, very good schools. Now, you may know Jackson State is coached by Hall of Famer Deion Sanders, and his son, Shadar, is their quarterback. After a tense back-and-forth game, Jackson State came out on top. At the end of the game, instead of a handshake, which would normally would normally transpose between the coaches, some do a dap and a hug. When Deion Sanders attempted to dap and hug the Alabama State coach, Eddie Robinson, no relation to the legendary Grambling coach of the same name, Robinson angrily shoved Sanders away. After the hug or non-hug and nasty words being exchanged between the two coaches and some of their players, Robinson said in his press conference that Deion Sanders was, quote-unquote, not swack. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Deion Sanders is a coach of a Southwestern Athletic Conference team, Jackson State, Jackson, Mississippi. That team has been a long member of the SWAC Conference. This, in turn, prompted a very arbitrary response from Deion Sanders, who wore a sweatshirt at his team, one of his team meetings about saying, who is SWAC? I am SWAC. The point of the matter is, is this. Seeing the nature of Deion Sanders, very glamorous, very glib individual, many people thought he wouldn't coach that long at Jackson State. And the rumors still persist that a number of Division I schools are interesting, interestingly eyeing Sanders for their head coaching slot, most notably his alma mater, Florida State. That said, many people in SWAC think that Deion Sanders is using their programs as a springboard to get to a bigger venue job, that he could test the waters at a smaller, less glamorous school and then jump to a bigger school. But in turn, he has brought a higher profile to Jackson State. And they have won a number of games and have risen very quickly in the Division II power rankings and may very well be in the Division II playoffs. That being said, Deion Sanders looks like he will be a quick jumper to a bigger program. But does that mean he's not SWAT? Does that mean he is not a dedicated uh, to an HBCU? But it seems that HBCUs gave him the, fir the first break that other schools were not willing to give him. And he has proven that he is a good head coach. Does that mean that he may be able to bring his son along with, with the liberal transfer rules from Division I to D Division II to Division I? The Sanders, both coach and quarterback slash father and son, may be a package deal. It seems that Eddie Robinson Jr. does not like the fact that a high-profile, high-glamorous type of individual like Sanders is getting the kind of notoriety. But then you also have to remember the flip side. Sanders, with his notoriety, brings people. People bring money. The Jackson State-Alabama State game was on ESPN this weekend, something that normally you wouldn't have seen. Not taking anything away from the great efforts for Byron Allen and the Grio Network, making HBCU-centered network for sports. Still, a game on ESPN draws eyes, and eyes draw advertisers. 
advertisers draw money. And that's what usually it's all about. That usually is the bottom line. So is Deion Sanders not swag? Maybe, maybe not. But Deion Sanders brings in money. And that is the bottom line. And that is the final word from the wood. With the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time in the Hoodwood is just about done. And thank you so much for your visit again this week. If you want to email the show, you can do so at kjgreen at blackbandproductions.com. Comments, questions, show ideas, and criticism. I welcome your correspondence and try to respond in kind as quickly as possible. The show airs weekly. Video versions are on YouTube as well as Facebook via the Black Bandit Productions Enterprises link. You can also catch the audio versions on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, Stitcher, and Pandora. If you don't have it on your favorite podcast provider, let them know. They'll let me know, and we'll try to get, get it on there as quickly as possible. As I mentioned before, Black Band Productions Enterprises is on Facebook with earlier um, versions of the show. You can check out the back catalog as well. Also on Twitter at KJGreen20 and Black Banner Productions and Enterprises. Tweet me and I will tweet you back. Thank you so much for watching. The staff at Black Banner Productions and Enterprises and Rage Pictures for their great production work. I'm KJ Green. Until next time, fellow sports fans, 30. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 audio and films production.